0: This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host Brent Billings. Today we are joined by special guest Kat Armstrong, a Bible teacher and ministry leader who holds a master's degree from Dallas Theological Seminary. She is the author of the Storyline Bible Studies and is the co-founder of The Polished Network. Kat, welcome to the show.
1: Gentlemen, I'm glad to spend some time with y'all.
0: Yeah, and if you want to add anything um, to my introduction, uh, any details about your family or your life or whatever that would just kind of Give our listeners a little bit better picture of who you are and what you're about.
1: Well, I don't eat any spicy food, but I have a pretty spicy (laughs) Mexi-German personality. Um, I have been married to the love of my life for 20 years. Aaron Armstrong, he is a pastor, the lead pastor at Dallas Bible Church in Richardson, Texas, where we live. So I'm a pastor's wife. I'm not sure I'm a great one, but I think that that role is evolving um worldwide, mm. so there's more mm. space for people who don't you know fit into a mold, but I love being married to Aaron. I love um serving at our church, teaching the fourth and fifth grade Sunday school class, and teach on the women's ministry team occasionally um We have one son, his name is Caleb, and you can tell from my voice inflection that he is just the joy of our lives. <laughs> Um, of course, and we'll get to talk about him later in the show, I'm sure, because he really inspired the storyline mm. series and has helped me vision mm. out these teachings, um, and been really instrumental in helping me see biblical imagery in the scriptures. So, you know, through the mouth mal- the mouths of babes, mm. um, they reveal so much to us. And then we um, we lost my dad a couple years ago, tragically. Um, death by suicide, which kind of is a lot, a large part of my story, but it also meant that there was some redemptive movement in my family because my mom moved in with us. So we are team Armstrong to the fourth power with my mom here. Um, and I spend most of my days working for Integris leadership as the director of leadership for them. Um, and then my writing and speaking is kind of my Sabbath delight practice, so I think that covers it. That's me.
2: That was a fantastic color commentary bio if we've had one on an interview. I love that. <laughs> okay, um, awesome. I got <laughs> I got to meet Kat because of this new world that I'm a part of. I signed this weird book contract thingy with NavPress and felt like I walked into a room where I felt super lonely because I'm this first time author. And I found out there were other people in the room and Kat was one of them. And there was a Facebook group and there was all these places where I got to, I felt like I got welcomed by a few names. I can even remember uh, Kat being one of the first people, I think, in our little Facebook group of NavPress authors that liked my welcome post. And I felt like, oh, I have a friend. <laughs> um, and uh, and then somebody reached out. And one of the things that we get to do at the publishing house at NavPress is try to support each other's work, and they reached out and said, hey, would you take a look at this Bible study series and see if you'd be willing to endorse it? And I was like, sure, absolutely. So I got to meet Kat from a distance, and I feel like the longer we've been in that same space together, the more I feel like we're we're kind of swimming in some of the same pools uh, as far as just evangelicalism and train of thought and the language that we use and some of our shared perspectives and so it's been it's been great to get to know you cat i cannot remember if you knew anything about me before or bema but a few is that is this your was this your first interaction with what did you were you aware of our work how do you know us
1: oh i do know you guys <laughs> man i would, you know not stalker level i wouldn't say like binge level heard every show but yeah, I'll drop in as a listener, and especially if I'm researching something. Um, I also have my neighbors, Megan and Jacob Bainham, went with you guys to Israel. No
2: way. That's your neighbors? They
1: live two, three doors down. We all oh, go to church goodness. together. And oh, I miss
2: them so much.
1: They're such a neat couple. And, you know, so... I knew about you guys for a long time. And Marty, I'm not going to lie or even play it cool. I have zero chill in my life. When, when my editor was like, I think Marty might endorse the series. I was like, I am freaking out right now. I feel like the way he nerds out about the Bible is really what I love to do. And I learned so much from y'all. So I really appreciate the work you do. And Marty, you said it best that the publishing house we're with has done such a beautiful job to cultivate some spaces for us to get to know each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And we want to encourage one another. It's just like any other part of Christianity. We're family. So we're trying to figure out who's the weird uncle in this group. Um, (laughs) But it's been really, really fun. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Amen to that. Well, we do want to talk about your storyline series. Uh, As we or as people are listening, four of the six books are out and they come out in pairs. So Mountains and Valleys have been out for a few months. Um, Sticks and Stones have been out for a couple months. And then in a few weeks uh, from our release, Sinners and Saints will be out. So you're kind of in the middle of this launch process, um, kind of getting close to to having the whole thing out there. But um, what tell us about the series, uh, maybe the inspiration for it, um, or just what, what gave you this idea for... I, I mean, yeah, I love the idea of like looking at these themes, because one of the things we talk about on Bema is that the Bible is one big story. So yeah, there are going to be themes that run through it. So this just like takes six of those themes and and pulls them into these um, these studies. And uh, yeah, just, just tell me about, about the series.
1: Yeah, we were in Broken Bow, Oklahoma for a couple days, just as a little respite after Christmas one year. And I sent my husband and my son outdoors, like just go, go away, do whatever it is you do (laughs) in the wilderness. Let me finish my tea. Mm. Let me finish my second (laughs) reading. I was on the second reading of um, Jonathan Pennington's Sermon on the Mount and Human Flourishing book. Mm. And I had enjoyed it so much the first time I was going back through it, preparing some messages for some teaching at our church. And he he made a comment that was related, obviously, to his topic, but was kind of outside of what I was studying. He mentioned that there were a lot of mountains in the Book of Matthew, and he casually mentioned Jesus, um, you know, preached his most famous sermon on a mountain, is tempted on a mountain, is transfigured on a mountain, commissions his disciples on a mountain. There's and there's a lot more, but I remember thinking, wait, what? That's really interesting. I'm going to follow this rabbit trail. And then, of course, I pull up Logos on my phone. I'm starting to use my research tools of, I'm just going to start. Whoa, of course, there's tons of mountains. Mount Sinai, there's tons of mountains in the Old Testament. We're probably going to be together at Mount Sinai. you know, just started connecting the dots and thinking, I could spend the next couple months researching this. And I did. And you can't nerd out about mountains without then thinking about valleys. And I started to notice that God would would add a geographical marker, a location name of a mountain or a valley, and that there was a pattern. And I really believe all the people, places, and things in the scriptures have meaning they're important, and that's why he included them. I'm not always certain why, but I'm really, really interested. And I think the Bible is a literary masterpiece. God's artistic brilliance just blows my mind. And you mentioned, y'all talk about this all the time on the show, the Bible's one cohesive unified story. It just blows my mind how he puts the the pieces together. And so after mountains, I kind of nerded out on valleys. And I found that a lot of faith battles in our faith history were set in a valley. Whether it was David or Goliath or David and Goliath or Deborah and JL or um, Caleb and Joshua scouting out the promised land or the valley of shadow of death or the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel, there are a lot of valleys and a lot of really big faith tests happen there. And so I started involving my son, Caleb, who was about eight and a half at the time and just saying, dude, I'm looking at all of these mountains in the Bible. It's blowing my mind. And he would nudge me in church when we would sing a song, um, envisioning God on the top of the mountain. Um, or that that's where our help comes from and so he and i started to notice together this imagery is everywhere and i've just missed it Mm -hmm. and kids are really good at picking up on imagery because the stories they read have more imagery involved and they're they're not like us we don't they're not coming to the bible like an ikea manual yet (laughs) hopefully ever you know they're they are mostly getting narratives in Sunday school, Mm. teaching. And so they're closer to these stories. Um, So he's really helped. So you asked, you know, how did this start? Well, that was it. I mean, Jonathan Pennington just pulled a little thread out for me (laughs) that I started to explore. And right around the same time, I was researching trees and stones, and those were blowing my mind. And the guys at Bible Project put out a series on trees uh, that really was parallel to what I was researching. And um, and then the last two, you know, that you just mentioned, Sinners and Saints, I was, my son Caleb, you know, during the pandemic, it was a little wheels off here. We were like, you can watch a lot more TV than we've ever let you watch before. And we're going to let you watch movies that we probably would wait on. So we we focused on Star Wars. <clears throat> we we're like, we're going to teach him the way of Star Wars.
0: Excellent. Good. Excellent choice. This is a good choice.
2: Yeah, yeah we're, we're totally behind you at this point. Yes. Brett and I both leaned in, even though you can't oh, see. Oh,
1: good, 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 good. <laughs> well, yeah. So Caleb came to me and he said, is Anakin Skywalker a good guy or a bad guy? <sighs> I'm like, dude, that's a really good question, Caleb, because he's not in literature classes yet that are teaching about archetypes or Narrative threads or character types, right? And so I'm talking to him about the flawed hero. And I'm like, yeah, think about Boromir from Lord of the Rings. Like, let's think about the other characters that are like this. They're not one dimensional. These are really layered characters because people are really complex. And that's why we love these stories. And that's why we remember them. And the Bible's like that too. You know, the characters in the Bible are really layered. And so, sinners and saints, is really about character types, how in the New Testament, I think God repurposes some character types to draw us into the story and get us really connected to the people. And um, so that one was really fun. You can kind of tell from my voice that I got really amped up doing Sinners and Saints. So that's the that's the series.
0: Sinners and Saints isn't out yet. I haven't read it, but I have looked at the at the um the contents as far as the the table of contents. And when I read what's in the saints book you have among others peter and judas and i just i'm i'm so like we've talked about that on our podcast before uh but i just love the idea of of even even including him in the book and yeah talking about how complicated he he is as a character and yeah i'm very excited to read it.
1: <laughs> well, thank you for that. I mean, Sinners was is really focused on some characters in the New Testament that we would typically count out, or maybe within their own context, they would have been marginalized, looked down upon, viewed as sinners. It's really a broad term mm-hmm. that I'm using to encompass a lot of different people. But they end up exhibiting this great faith in God. And you read the story and you think, oh, I didn't expect that from this person. and you know, when it came to saints, I was in class with Dr. McKnight at Northern, studying Pharisees, Sadducees, looking at some of these Second Temple um, writings and noticing, wow, a lot of these religious elite, religious leaders, they missed it. And I could really resonate with them. Um, and so putting those stories together, I think what it did, you guys, for me is it helped me remember people's humanity, maybe something I had lost in the pandemic, mm. which was mm. just remembering that people are complex. And I love to make it black or white. Is Anakin Skywalker a good guy or a bad guy? Well, buddy, he's a little bit of both. <laughs> and it kind of depends when you get what part of his story. And um, so it really helped put my faith back together. If I'm honest, it really helped with that.
0: Well, I I think this this series is definitely right up the alley of Baymont listeners. Uh, I know that I was, speaking of table of contents, I looked at the table of contents for mountains and I was like, okay, Mount of Transfiguration, Sermon on the Mount, like, I was like, okay, Mount Sinai, I see the theme. Okay, Mount Eden, interesting. That's, you know, what a what a nice poetic interpretation of that to fit it into <laughs> what she's doing. And then I read it and you're like, Ezekiel. And I was like, no way. Like, I was totally blown away by it. Um, so I, I think just the surprise, the delight and surprise of reading that first chapter of the first book, I loved that. Um, but, but you've done six of these books. Um, is, is there a particular section or series that was your, your favorite, just the, the one that really hooked you the most?
1: Yeah, I know. If I need you to can reach... pick one. Yeah, it's kind of hard. It's like choosing your favorite child. Um, I only have one child, so that's easy for me, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I, I'm like, should, should I be telling people this all the time? Because I am sticks and stones were some of my favorite and stones probably of all six. Um, was my favorite to write and to experience. It happened to parallel uh, Russia invading Ukraine. And so my attention was on the news daily. I was watching children stumble across the border at Poland crying out for their fathers. It felt like the world was a little fragile. It felt like this might be something that will impact generations to come. I can't even really fathom this this thing that's going on in the world. And at the same time, I was looking up stories where stone or rock imagery was appearing and just reminded it from the psalmists, um, you know, that God is the rock of our refuge and our salvation and our stronghold. And he is the rock of ages. And I mean, he has rock solid character there. You know, he does not falter. He does not crack. Um, so I think that part of it really resonated with where I was just in life. Um, we had also planned a little trip to Big Cedar and we, uh, there's a place called Top of the Rock where there's a restaurant and I didn't know that. And I didn't know that my husband had planned a dinner there for our family. But again, that was right around the same time that I was doing this research. And so, you know, I don't want to make over spiritualize that, but when you're writing and you're communing with God and you're, you know, my writing is my Sabbath delight. It's how I really connect with God. And to feel like my world around me was showing me um, the same imagery that I feel like he purposed when it came to rock and stones, that meant a lot. And um, I think what I noticed, y'all, is when it comes to rocks and stones, I spent the majority of that study in the Old Testament, looking at Jacob's experience, sleeping on a rock, building multiple pillars, and um, doing weird things <laughs> that would- with rocks making these (laughs) memorials like you know it's all kind of you have to you guys do a great job on your show of helping us orient ourselves to the context you know but you read that story and you're like i like my pillows firm but this seems like next level yeah (laughs) um and you know so i had richard bacham in my brain i had ellen Uh, i had all these great people helping me sort through this but i started to notice that in the old testament they're gathering stones they're, they're bringing stones together. They're picking them up. They're moving them. They're making pillars of stones. When Joshua's story, um, Moses getting the stone tablets, there's a lot of rock and imagery going on, but they're gathering them and they're breaking, they're rebuilding them. But in the New Testament, you know, Jesus is ro- the, the stone is rolled away for Jesus. And then Peter challenges us to be the living stones. Like, Jesus. And so I just felt like even that, I totally nerded out. You guys, I was like, get out of here. They're like collecting them. And then it's rolled away. And then we're supposed to be the living, you know. So I really felt connected to that one. Um, it also helped that Bono released a book. And
2: <laughs> that that helped out all the cosmos when Bono <laughs> It helped everybody.
1: <laughs> You're like, Bono, thank you for serving us again, pastor yeah, of the right. world.
2: Um, that's right.
1: Yeah, I and mean, he just talked about Jesus being his rock. So it felt like everywhere I turned, there was this imagery.
2: I love it. Um, and in fact, I want to talk about that. And we mentioned before, I, I got the opportunity to endorse this. And I wanted to actually read my endorsement and use it to highlight three words um, that jump out of my endorsement. that could guide the conversation today. I say this. I say, Kat has done two things that I love. She's taken something that's familiar and presented it in a fresh way that's understandable by all, balancing the profound with accessibility. And her trustworthy and constant approach to Bible study equips the participant to emerge from the study with the ability to keep studying and growing more. Um, which now I'm realizing there's a whole fourth part of that endorsement I may want, I may want to talk about if I get time. but um, the first word that jumped off that page to me, Kat, is the idea of of fresh. um like we've been talking about the Bible for quite some time, Jews and Christians together. It's like how many how many unique ways can we find? Um, and it's not that this is the first time anybody's talked about the mountains in the Bible, but it was it was a fresh. I can remember one of my earliest sermons I can remember learning from Ray was a weekend conference where he just talked about different mountains in scripture. So when I saw what you were doing I was like, oh, it took me back to this. And it just the whole series taking these themes and following that theme through a narrative arc sticks and stones and sinners and saints mountains and like I just I love taking something so familiar and repackaging it in a way that makes me. It's like taking the gym and holding it up against the light and seeing something brand new that I I just wasn't seeing before. I imagine that that's, um, it, it's got to be part of the what makes this attractive for people using the study, um, drawn to the study. Have you find Have you found that to be? True in how people are beginning to interact with the series?
1: For sure. I mean, Marty, I'm over here crying. I'm glad we're not on video. Um, <laughs> I am so grateful for your affirmation and encouragement. It means a lot to me. You know, as well as I do, you release mm. something into the world and you think, mm. oh, maybe that was trash. You know, mm. we should just right. take it all down. Um, I think it is resonating with people. I think people um, understand that curiosity is what keeps us involved in stories. Mm -hmm. And if the Bible is this beautiful narrative, we have to stay curious. And so if we just keep rehashing the same stories the same way or doing Bible study the same way, I do think we get bored. And I think most people would say, I'm kind of bored with my reading plan or my devotional plan or whatever that may be. And I, I hope and I pray that the studies spark holy curiosity where it's like this insatiable, like, what? I've never thought about that before. The way I responded to Jonathan Pennington's remark about the mountains, Mm. I'd never heard, I'd never thought about that before. And it just took me to new layers of God's artistic brilliance, the way he does his storytelling, how he could connect dots over, you know, a thousand more plus years. And, um, So I do think it's resonating with people. And I have heard the word fresh a lot, too. I've heard a lot of people just say I've never thought of it this way. And I'm like, neither had I. Let's talk about it, you know. And what's been fun is that I keep mentioning my son, Caleb, but he really has been instrumental in this series because I had two other books before this series. And he wasn't involved in those. But he is the one coming to me saying, you've got to do boats next. He's like, Noah's on a boat. Peter's on a boat. Paul's on a boat. Goodness. Jesus on. Boats everywhere. Mm. He came up with a list. So we, we gathered our family and said, this, if, I, if I devote myself to this study for the next couple years, this could mean every Friday, every Saturday morning, mommy could be really focused. Mm-hmm. And that means the whole family's got to sacrifice to make this happen. And my son was like, I'm in. Let's do it. Left the table, came back with a sticky note of like wine, water, boats, tables, vineyards. The dude is just listing imagery (laughs) that he's like, oh, there's so many things you could do with this. Um, And I think that it's one of those things, Marty, where like once you see it, you can't unsee it.
2: Mm hmm. Yep,
1: and and then you then your mind goes. Oh wait, what about that one? What about that one? I gotta look that. Yeah. I gotta reread that story. I haven't read it from that perspective. Yeah, I didn't read Jacob's story to look at the stone. I was always like, was it an angel? What's the stairway? What's happening? Like, <laughs> You're right? Why is this right. conversation happening now? Um. So I do think it's a fun way to come to it.
2: Yeah, and, and it's 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 more. It's maybe not even intentionally. It's like unintentionally Hebraic. It's far more concrete. I think. Children relate to the scriptures, not in this abstract theological way. That's right. But they see the concrete things. And that, I think that's far more of how maybe that original Hebraic audience would have related to half these stories, too. So I love that, which kind of brings me to my second word in my endorsement, which is trustworthy. Like, I'm never optimistic when somebody emails saying, hey, would you endorse a word? Like, oh, man, this is not going to go well. Like, I'm going to, it's going to be typical evangelical content, typical theology. We're going to need to deconstruct all this stuff. I'm not going to be able to put my name behind it and endorse it. It's going to be void of historical awareness and any contextual nuance or hermeneutic. And 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 I will say this before I keep going, like the beauty of what you've done here, like I Part of what Bay Ma does, I hear this all the time, is it it's it pushes just far enough. you can't use it in church like you can for a lot of people. but there are a lot of settings. you know, I'm a part of my Presbyterian Church. Uh, they're not okay with the way you question Augustinian theology. Um, people aren't okay with all the Jewish stuff. like it, and and I totally get that. Your stuff is trustworthy in the sense of you're not fringe, throwing rocks. You're talking about rocks. You're not you're not throwing stones. You're not trying to dismantle or or heavy on the deconstruction. It's this trustworthy source, and yet also trustworthy in that I didn't have to pull it apart. I didn't have to like put an asterisk on it or have to like give some explanation or like it it was it was trustworthy in that sense. And um I just like to be able to find resources that are I like to find resources that occupy that space that are safe for, for everybody to be able to use them, whether you're all the way over here or all the way over there, there's somewhere that gives you an opportunity to have a conversation and use it in your typical setting. Um, so the question that kind of comes out of that for me is what is your relationship with Christian theology and the study of the, and you, you've talked like the research you're doing, the voices, um, you know, working with folks like Professor McKnight, like, like you're, you're, you're using words and names and language that shows you've done the work here. So tell me about what you enjoy about, this isn't just poetry. It's not just shallow curriculum. Talk to me about what you love about the study of theology, putting this stuff together, the study of the scriptures. Talk about that heart.
1: Yeah. I think, um, we're at a unique place culturally, culturally, um, and in the life of the church, where I think institutional loyalty may be at an all-time low. That's an anecdote just coming from your sister cat here in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. But I think institutional loyalty is at an all-time low. I think if people aren't deconstructing, they're reconstructing. Yep. I think people are looking at rotten planks, ripping them out with a demolition plan that doesn't have a real clear path to rebuilding. And I think people are as curious as they've ever been and bored. I think that we need to challenge people. They're very smart. I think we need to assume that they've heard all that maybe certain camps have to say Mm -hmm. and are asking deeper questions. I think that people are at a place where they're looking at the supporting material used to create product Mm -hmm. and content. Were there female scholars quoted? Are scholars of color quoted? Are majority world scholars quoted? Mm -hmm. Does this person have a background really digging? Did they only use a lexicon that was on the internet? Or were they consulting people with early readers saying, hey, dissect this. I mean, Marty, I would love to have you as an early reader to poke holes in my stuff. But I tried. I tried really hard Mm -hmm. to make something I would enjoy studying. And the people that I serve at church would really, really want. And um, so I think if you flip to the back and you look at the supporting material I used, you can see some intentionality. Just I really made an, in, um, purpose to try to include voices that would stretch us. You'll even notice that some of the people I quote right next to each other would disagree on some pretty serious things. Um, but the benefit I had is that I wasn't teaching straight doctrine. I wasn't coming up with only antidotes. It was really, Mm -hmm. let's follow the imagery and let's appreciate that this is a beautiful story. And um, you mentioned something about deconstructing. You know, on my website for Storyline, it says, put your faith back together. Mm -hmm. And that's really the goal of these studies is that when someone sees, and I use this illustration a lot, so forgive me, but if you had to do a group project in high school or college, Lord, have mercy on us. It is like <laughs> herding cats to get three or four people to agree on something, present it well, have a cohesion. You know, yep. here we have something written over all this time, but all these different authors and all these different books, genres, and it all's connected. That should blow your mind. And I think when someone sees the rocks and the stones from Jacob, and then Joshua, and then Moses, and then Jesus, and then Peter, they're going to go this. I'm putting my faith back together because I'm seeing how the story is together. Um, So I appreciate your endorsement and saying that it's trustworthy and I hope it continues to be that way. And if you see something, let me know so that I could, if it ever goes to reprint, I could fix it.
2: Yeah, no, I I love it. And that leads to like the last word, but then I have a bonus. Sorry, Brent, I got a bonus thing I'm going to toss in here too after this one. But
0: (laughs) well, before you move on to this next word, I just want to say, like, yes, this book is, I think it's good for people who have gone through a deconstruction process. Um, I think it's also good for people who don't know anything at all. Like the way you gently guide people through ways to, to study a passage and like very approachable, but also like the depth of insights that you have for people who have maybe been doing this for a long time. Like this book is just so useful for such a broad range of people. So I just want to say like, you know, maybe we are focusing on people who have gone through deconstruction right now, but it is it is so broadly useful. Like, don't don't let that. Like, if you feel like, oh, it's good for those people, then maybe it's not good for me. No, I would say it's still good for you. So, I just want to say that.
1: Thank you, Brent. I'm gonna Venmo you right now. I Think I paid him <laughs> yeah. to say that, and so. <laughs> uh,
0: and it's it, no, it's a perfect
2: setup to where I was headed next, which is my other word is constant, like part of the reason why the material is accessible, so accessible from so many different angles. And this is very difficult to do, to do something that's fresh and constant. Um, it's easy to do one or the other, to do both of those together. Um, and you've used the word twice Kat. You've used the word bored uh, that I, I've used the same word on book tour over and over and over. I couldn't agree more. I think in so many ways we're bored with our spirituality and, um, And so we want to do something fresh. And yet part of that accessibility is you've also done something in these things. There's a constant, there's a rhythm, there's a cadence that I can get used to. And I know everybody's not the same, but for me, that's so important for me. Like, okay, I can get used to, I'm only two or three lessons into this study, but I, I, you, you have a cadence to what's going on. I know where we're headed. There's a, there's a, there's a rhythm to what we're going to do. And that makes the study more trustworthy because I know where I'm going, I can get used to engaging it, there's almost a practice, a discipline to doing the study, and you've designed these studies to follow that similar path throughout, and I I know what's coming around every corner as I engage the study, but I'm also not getting bored as I engage the material, because it kind of changes at all the right moments, the themes, the sections, the parts. Um, Can you speak to what you hope the study is able to, well, may, t- talk about how the intentionality behind that design, um, it wasn't just like, here's content, here's some discussion questions. There, There is a rhythm to each section, a rhythm to each study. Talk about the intentionality of that and what you hope it's able to accomplish for people.
1: Yeah. I'm like fist pumping the air. I'm like, Whoa, he gets it. There is so much scope and sequence happening in the books. Um, I'm a teacher at heart. I want people to really experience what they're learning. And so each lesson is divided into four parts. We talk about context. We talk about observation, interpretation, application, which lots of people have heard. I just use Ray Lubeck's words. I think I may have tailored them a little bit. Um, And he's in Oregon and was at Western. But he did some great books on just hermeneutics, how to read the Bible at a very accessible level. And he calls it seeing and understanding and applying. And so there is a scope and sequence to it. And I think that people need to be guided into that method of of reading. And there are so many ways to come at the scriptures. We could talk about F. Davis and, you know, the art of reading the Bible. And all, it's it's a really broad, broad topic. But I was hoping to create some continuity where people would know on day one, if I sit down, I'm going to read all about the context of the story and I'm going to think about my own context. How will my reading of the story today be influenced by what's going on in my world? Because that happens. And I think creating some awareness around that can help us when we get to the interpretation level. And then I I try to engage the readers to mark up the study so the verses that they study are in the book so that all their notes in one place. And we try to just do a lot of underlining and circling and identifying, try to really see what's going on in the story, enjoy it with fresh eyes. And then on day three, you do get to interpreting. What did this mean for them? Because there's a lot of hermeneutical jumps you got to make before we get to what does it mean for us. And so I try to make that a slow build. Um, and it's hard to do. And I think I'm just learning how to do it a little bit better. And then by day four, by part four, you finally get to some application points. Um, but I think most people have already worked some of that out on their way there. So I offer some things, reflection points for for the reader. Um, And I've created a bunch of free guides on my website that they can download if they're a small group leader, a ministry leader. You know, Marty, like you, my goal is just trying to get people back in the text and to enjoy it. And any barrier that would, you know, barrier to entry, I'm trying to remove that. You need discussion questions? Do this. You need sermon series? Do this. Like, here's it all, it's all free. Um, And then there's a lot of suggested reading in the back of here, you know, if someone were to start building their library to read the Bible as literature, here's where you could start. And those resources were things that helped me build what I was doing. Um, But I feel like a lot of times it's either journal focused or it's only question and answer and I get bored with that. So I'm trying to do some new things.
2: Yeah. Well, and here's what you've done because of that, because of the constant nature of this. By the time, and I I say this at the, I, I hinted at the end of my endorsement, by the time somebody's done with this study, they, like, we will always need people creating great Bible study, but we go to Bible study materials and things like this because we need somebody to help guide our way. But at the end of this, if anybody's been paying attention, even at all, they now have the tools to engage in their own Bible study, to lead their own Bible study. They could write their own stuff because you've taught people, like doesn't you have not made them dependent on you. You've taught them how to think and how to ask questions and how to do it with a meter and a cadence. Like this was this was not just informing, this was equipping in the way that it led people on a journey. And it might feel funny because it's like, well, we're working ourselves out of a job. I doubt we're ever going to get to a place where everybody's going to no longer need anybody to have fresh takes on Bible study. Like we will always have work to do, but you've enabled people to do their own good work. And that was uh, I, That was my overarching impression. One of the things I loved the most when I got done with that first um, copy of Mountains was I'm like, man, by the end of this, I know how to Bible study if I didn't know how to Bible study, I'm learning how to Bible study right now. And I could do this on my own. And I thought that's one of the, one of the best parts, the most brilliant parts of the material. So well done, I think.
1: Marty, thank you. Oh my goodness. You guys, you'll want to do this again tomorrow at the same time. I need this like (laughs) shot of encouragement. This is awesome. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say because I don't typically like the workbook style um and i read this more as as uh, a straight through narrative so it's it's difficult to say how well i would do if i was forced to to go through it week by week um but i mean tell me about tell me about your um because your husband's the the pastor of a church you you've been around church for a long time you've been through i'm sure you've been through lots of studies uh, with groups of people, like what, what did that, those experiences, how did those fit into your writing of this material and how you laid it out and how you, um, you know, molded each week. And, you know, because you've, you've, you have the experience of going through this process and how people uh, work through these ideas and whatever. So tell me about your past experiences and and what you took into your book from those experiences.
1: Yeah, probably the most helpful thing I did was I wrote mountains the way I would, what I have written other things that will never get published because I really do think they might be trash. But you got to get all those (laughs) things worked out as a, you know, early writer. But I've been doing this for a long time, 20 years of, you know, sitting down to create some sort of lesson plan, pass it out to the small groups I lead at my home or my church, where even when I was in college, before I graduated, gathering women and men and sending out worksheets. And I learned this from Beth Moore, who was my first Sunday school teacher. At Houston's First Baptist Church.
2: Oh, goodness. Wow.
1: So I was a high school student who had just come to faith. I told my youth pastor, I am not fun. I don't want to do no games. I'm not going to no camp. I'm not, none of that. No skits. I don't know Moses or Abraham. I don't know, even you know, those different people. I don't know anything about the Bible. What do I do? And he said, there's a very Southern lady with very Southern here who teaches an adult Sunday school class. You're not an adult, but I bet you could sneak in because there's like 600 people there. In her Sunday school class. And so I did just that. I started slipping into the back as a 17 and 18-year-old. And she would have worksheets for us every week, fill in the blanks. She would cite all of her sources. She would challenge us to take them home. I did. I'd hole punch them, put them in a binder. I would review them. And I think I that started this process of like, I love that they gave me something. Y'all do that too. You've got downloads for BMI. You've got all sorts of resources people, for people. But I felt empowered. Mm-hmm. To go home and go, what book was she read? Where did she get that? And she would cite her sources. I go, I'm going to go buy that book mm-hmm. um, from my local Lifeway store in Houston, Texas. <laughs> and that's just what I did. And so I think the more I I did all of her studies, I would do anything that was offered. I was always in a curriculum type workbook, and just like anything else, you start to pick and choose. Oh, I really like that. Or if I ever did my own, I would do this. And so I think this was a culmination of. 20 years of practice, 20 years of hosting small groups. And with Mountain specifically, before I signed a contract to write this, I hosted a group at my home. And at my dining room table, we worked out. And it was me passing out worksheets and them going, this made no sense. And I would say, that's right. That's horrible. Let's let's skip that. That's not going Mm. in my book proposal. Um, Mm. And so I think that really getting time with the folks who are experiencing the content helps you shape it. And that's the goal of any teacher. I just want to make it so that it's easy for people to understand and want to learn for themselves. And eventually, like you said, Marty, not need me, but go, I don't even need these studies anymore. I just pulled out my concordance and I started looking up boats and systematically Mm -hmm. read those stories and found the connection points and it's been really fruitful.
2: Amen to that. I man, and you meant we mentioned uh, kind of joking and passing Bono and the gift he's been. But man, you had a pretty good start. Beth Moore has been a gift to our world, and golly, I couldn't have been more wrong about somebody years and years ago. But she has just uh, her scholarship, her leadership, her everything that she's done uh, for evangelicalism over the last twenty years, especially has just been uh, man, I'm just mesmerized by her leadership. So you got a good starting spot. If that's, if that's a Sunday school class that you got to sneak into good work there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was called water's edge. And I thank her often. Thank you for being (laughs) a Sunday school teacher. Um, because that my life 20 years later is because of that class,
2: man, absolutely. Someday I'm going to get to talk to her and just tell her thank you as well. Um, that is so good cat. What else, what else have you done? What else have outside of the storyline series? Is there other stuff you've written, published, sent out into the world podcast? Is there anything in the future that you're excited about? What are the other things? I know right now you're probably like, I just need to get the the next publishing thing done, <laughs> but maybe there is something on your horizon or past horizons, what are the things that we could know about as far as what Kat Armstrong's done?
1: Yeah, that's really kind. Thank you for asking. I've got two books. One's called No More Holding Back. And my specialty when it comes to Bible study is intertextuality, looking at how the old and the new are connected, looking for biblical imagery. And so my first book, No More Holding Back, is about Eve and Mary Magdalene and some Things that happen in those two women's stories, they both happen in a garden. And we see a great Easter reversal in Mary Magdalene's story from some of the things that Eve experienced. And really the goal of No More Holding Back is to embolden women to serve God in any place he sends them. Regardless of anything they've heard before about some limitations on where they can serve and how they can serve, Um, And so that was about Mary Magdalene. And then my second book, The In-Between Place, is very similar in that um, I take Dinah's story from Genesis 38, Mm. and I pair it with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And I show how they're connected through location, through Shechem or Sichar, and I know I'm pronouncing probably both terribly. Fix me later, Marty, okay?
2: No, you're in a you're, you're in good spot. Go, go
1: for it. Okay, good. Well, those two women's stories are connected geographically. And when I was in Israel, the guide at the time pointed that out. And I would never thought about those two women having their stories happen in a, a similar location. And did some research, and I see some great um, Jesus reversals in the woman at the well story compared to dinah's and one just very simple example would be dinah is silent in her story and the woman at the well might be the longest recorded conversation we have in the new testament Hmm. um and dinah was uh traumatized there's there's some good reason to think maybe the woman at the well had lived a really really hard life and jesus entrusts her with gospel news and in dinah's story everyone dies and in the one with the well story, there's revival mm. in her city. And so there's a lot of things going on there. So the in-between place is about how Jesus comes to hard places in our life and he redeems them. Mm. And um, I think he does that geographically as a metaphor in, in those stories. But I think it has really broad implications for our lives. Um, so yeah, if anyone's listening to me and like, I've never heard of this girl, both of those books I think you would enjoy because they're much like my workbook. Um, they're not so much story. it's a lot of Bible teaching in there. Um, hmm. And then what am I excited about the future? I don't know i you know marty um brent i'm I'm just anticipating that I need to make some space, and I'm not sure about what. Um, but I, you know, I have a full-time job that I very much love so that I can keep my writing a Sabbath delight. And I'm hopeful that we'll add on to the storyline series, that there will be more so that Caleb Armstrong can have one on both. I
0: was going to say, if Caleb has anything to say about it, you've got quite a few more to write.
1: I've got more to write. So I think, um, we'll figure out a way to do that. And, um, I do a lot of speaking. So I think, you know, for the future, I just want to continue to serve the 4th and 5th graders at Dallas Bible Church and then continue Mm. to serve when churches invite me to preach or teach. That delights me, too.
2: Mm. Love that. Shoot, you got me interested in those
0: books. I'm going to have to go buy me a copy. (laughs)
1: Yes, do it. I'll send you one. I'll send you one.
0: (laughs) Well, we have a very long list of show notes um, among the things that we talked about and things that we referenced and everything else. Uh, But where's the best place to get connected to Kat Armstrong specifically? Like if somebody wants to drop you a note and say uh, how much your book means to them or whatever, like what's the best way to get connected to you?
1: Probably Instagram. I'm on there way too much. Um, You know, if it's a creepy message, I'm just going to block you. But if it's a nice one, I will (laughs) respond back pretty quickly.
0: Perfect. And then we'll uh, we'll also put your polished network website on there and your own website uh, that showcases all your books as well. So We'll have all of those links in the show notes. Um, yeah, it's just been a pleasure talking to you and and uh, talking about these ideas and and uh, diving into Scripture together. It's been great.
1: Thank y'all. Really appreciate it. Yeah,
0: thanks, Cap, for joining us today. I, I'm excited. As we record
2: this, once, it, once this releases, we'll have, Lord willing, hung out at an author's retreat and gotten a chance to at least shake hands in person and have some conversation, but looking forward to just getting to know you well, and have more friendship
0: in the future.
1: Me too, Marty. Appreciate it.
0: All right. That does it for this week. Uh, You can find all of the show notes at com. So thanks for joining us on the Baymah Podcast. We'll talk to you all again soon.